Hi, you're listening to the Young Leaders Podcast, a show that inspires creatives and motivates you to make a meaningful impact in the world. My name is Filippo Bagarella, and I'll be your guide to success as we interview young leaders, selfishly asking them about their progress and the lessons in life they've learned so far, because if they can do it, you can do it. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Bortolan. Hi, Richard. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being in the show. Thank you very much for accepting. Um, we always start with a very particular question, and that is, what is your definition of leadership? Okay, so for me, the definition of leadership is actually a bit controversial for, from what the literal meaning of leader is. For me, for me, leader is someone who's able to find stability in instability because um, the concept of comfort zone has always represent a search for a sort of in natural life because life is never static and rather we should find comfort zone in something that is moving and always evolving in life. So I think a leader is someone who's able to find that and who's able to be relatable for his crewmates uh, someone who's able to find uh, his fragility, understand it, and put it to use for others to follow him and find him as a guide towards their own insecurity and fragilities and find their strength through it. So that's for me what a leader is, not someone who manipulates or force people to gain success. So for who doesn't know, Richard is a worldwide winning musician. He plays the piano. He's been being a pianist for a lot of time, a long, long time. Um, and he's won, in many occasions, a lot of prizes. And today, what I'm mostly going to be asking you is, how is, how is, how do you get to achieve so many prizes, winning so many competitions? What's the secret to being so successful? Mm, well, it all aims down to what the meaning of successful is in the first place. For me, winning prizes, competitions um, doesn't necessarily mean I am successful. For me, what the definition of successful is, is someone who's able to be aligned with himself, someone who's happy of what he's doing and finding a kind of stability in his own craft and satisfaction from it. I could actually aim and win so many competitions, but at the same time, uh, neglecting my own relationship, my own, you know, um, life, basically, and just revolving around a concept of success that I see on social media, that I see from other people, other experiences, and just trying to imitate or trying to follow that pathway, but inside of me, not feeling that's what for me. So um, to go back to your question, how do I do that? Well... I just align myself to what I feel. In in my own case, um, competition doesn't necessarily mean I am comfortable or feeling successful. They are stressful, for sure. Uh, undergoing a competition requires a lot of self-discipline. If you're asking how I made it, it's for sure through discipline, through uh, work, and but mostly out of my own passion for music as cliche as it may sound but that's it i mean 
if I didn't feel passion for it, all the efforts I'm doing now will not grant these results, I guess. And yeah, the rest is all up to self-reliance and organization, of course. The question that comes in mind is how do you achieve then this level of mental sanity? I mean, you're always under pressure and you're always trying to participate in in these marathons of piano and how does it how does it like how do you actually cope with it though because what what from my point of view is yes it's always about being in the moment and 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 participating rather than thinking of winning and growing as a person but don't you ever feel judged don't you ever feel uh pressured to make it because maybe other people are counting on you in any way yes sometimes yes if i have to be honest there's always the pressure and the expectation the image of what people can expect from you and it's not easy to disassociate yourself from that and it all comes up to prioritizing yourself so how do I achieve this level of stability and sanity? Well, it's a lifelong term process for sure. And it all comes down to self-analysis first, analyzing how your thoughts, your behavior works, how, when does your anxiety comes out? For example, my anxiety comes out whenever I'm comparing myself to other people, whenever I'm comparing myself to how the expectation of others people are then if i go back to what the core problem is is probably my people pleasing um, attitude because my lack of confidence since i was younger brought me to prioritize other people's opinion first so therefore i grew up in this kind of mindset of um, i should do this so that you praise me for that thing so i'm worth I'm only worth, my worth is based on your expectation that I meet what your expectation for me are. And um, it's difficult still up until now. Sometimes I struggle and I question myself, am I doing this really because, you know, I like it? Or I'm doing it just for the sake of I've been used to prioritize what you expect from me. And at a certain point, I remember especially these issues was was really strong in high school because in high school, I was not able to really understand the situation or I found out I didn't even know who I really was. And also regarding to my own concept of myself, the image of myself, my own sexuality, I was hiding a lot of things of me because I was in this people pleasing mindset. And... I think once I started to fix the issue, which is still not completely fixed, but I'm starting to work on it, that's where I started to find stability because I can prioritize my own um, mental health as well, not only the expectation of others. So that's that's very important because people-pleasing usually then leads to overthinking or mm-hmm. vice versa, overthinking leads to people-pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, We've been we've known each other for over a decade by now. We've yeah. been in high school together um, for five years, but we've known each other prior to that, singing in a choir. Mm-hmm. 
And my question to you now is, how, when did it start, you understanding that there was something, there was something that was pushing you to having to please these people? Was there an instant in your life where you said, oh, I have to do this, otherwise it's, it's the end of the world? Well, since I was, um, I think since I was six years old, like the first friendship that I made when I was very young, I mean, when I was in elementary school, I really started um, feeling this kind of sense of, I'm already setting myself that I'm not going to be accepted by people because I'm faking my own appearance, I'm hiding my own kind of sexuality or my own interest. To So I need to find some sort of things that are interesting to other people. So I must say the instances where I realized that were the first friends I've ever had. First, you know, friends I've ever had in elementary school. Only few of those lasted up until now. And those were the one which they've witnessed my progress from what I created, what image I created of myself, and then finally finding myself right after. And I remember during this those moments where I was heading to school and talking to those people and creating a fake image of myself, then maybe they will try to talk about certain topics. And then mm, I, I don't know, I, I just fake. I just fake to have the same interest of them. I imitate maybe their own action, their own way of talking, just so I could be relatable for them so that I could be accepted in the group, you know? And it kind of worked at the start. So that's why I continued doing it. I thought it was a kind of healthy behavior. It was like a kind of way from, for me to be open to you, you know? I'm interested in what, into what you're saying, but I was so afraid of saying no, so afraid of, of saying I don't like it, so afraid of saying I don't agree with what you're saying to me. And it was always yes. It was always... <sighs> then I, I, I always came back home and I said to myself like, is this who I really am? Like, am I really living my own life? Because I'm 1,000 different people at this moment. And I realized that since a really young age, like, I, it was really suffering. And even though I could not really conceptualize it, it was, I, I felt it in my body. Like, I felt like my energy was being drowned from every single kind of friendship that I had back then. Because I always felt I was not able to express and every second that I did not express myself, I was dying a little when I came back home. Like it was a second when I went back home that I was suffering and thinking about it and saying like, what was I saying? Like, that's not me. I would have never said that. I would have never agreed on that sentence. I would have never even went with that gossip or that criticism. I would have never agreed on that. And why I agreed with that? Like, why? That's not me. And so it's you... so painful, to be honest you realized that you were basically wearing a mask throughout mm -hmm. ever you weren't ever taking it out yeah. which exactly. brings me which brings me to another important question and that is um sexuality mm -hmm. so we know that you know you're gay and mm -hmm. um you came out i think it was 2020 last year of high school right yeah and it was during our cambridge exams that we were doing mm -hmm. um and i remember it was it was such a 
shock in a way because mm-hmm. first it was a very much a shock because in a way we I never would have thought you know you were so good at hiding who you really were to us that it never occurred to us to even ask you in general apart from sexuality if you were okay because again mm-hmm. I'm I'm a firm believer that sexuality doesn't necessarily have to define the person you are meaning that you can be act masculine and be and be part of the lgbtq community you can be gay or vice versa you know you can act very mm-hmm. feminine but not necessarily does that mean that you are gay so mm-hmm. given this this um idealism i i never came to the to the conclusion i never even thought of having to like think is he gay or not because i it wasn't my business and i didn't yeah. but it, it hurt me and our small group of friends that didn't know that you were going through this period of years of hiding so if mm-hmm. if you had the opportunity to to meet someone who is still going currently through this really difficult mm-hmm. process of having to deal with with sexuality especially if it's a place where sexuality isn't spoken about enough or accepted what would you tell them first of all i would try to understand the situation with the person the family situation first of all because family is the closest environment that we have the place that we go back home to especially if we are young and we are still not living away from our family uh, we're very much codependent on what they could think of us and also what type of parenting they have if your parents are really strict and they you know could lead to some consequence on your own freedom on your own reputation social reputation that you must really consider those aspects like i'm not here the person to be um to give you know just those free cliche advices of just accept yourself like i mean acceptance comes within you but you must also be careful on what the situation in your family is and in my situation it was not really much a problem of the family itself because i knew my parents has always been supportive with me since i was younger even on other topics like even with piano even with music and other choices like they were always kind of giving a supportive vibe to me so it was rather my overthinking my own self sabotage mindset that was you know giving me an obstacle to kind of accept it and go along with it so it all boils down to how you fix your own mindset first even if you accept yourself okay i like boys you think you kind of like it but there are all those sort of social um minds and criticism that you've been building up yourself from other people perspective since you were younger that you must also work out and trying to dissociate yourself from because yes i kind of started accepting myself that i uh, like boys but then when i went to church because i have you know filipina mother and uh, italian father and in philippines christianity is the main religion we go to church we went to church when i was little yes i can accept it that inside of me that i like boys but then in front of the cross in front of all those people i still felt no it's not right like uh uh and i and i pray that i would have changed the day, the day after so the first thing is start to prioritize yourself start start to prioritize your own self help 
mental health first because then you will understand okay since i should feel good i should prioritize myself then after you can start work out also the external environment and don't care too much about things you cannot control you cannot control what your mother thinks about it you cannot control what your father thinks about it. you cannot control your friends how they're gonna react to it but if you build up yourself and you say fuck it i'm gonna live my own life it's my own life then you know release the stress from it you cannot control everything you cannot be like from everyone anyway your mom is from the philippines and Mm -hmm. your dad is from italy being a biracial kid in (laughs) italy particularly in vicenza where we are isn't very new there are a lot of biracial kids but yes asian biracial is Mm. very rare um, yeah, I think I think you were in our year probably the only person. Have you ever experienced any form of even racism? Call it whether it be sexuality mm-hmm. or um, uh, being biracial and therefore half Asian, mm. especially during Corona. When I was younger, I did not really receive comments about my, um, you know, being biracial because. I mean, my facial traits does not really resemble immediately um, Asian traits. Like, for example, I don't know, the eyes. Uh, my mother tells always that I gain my eyes from my father. And usually it's not something that people kind of guess right away. So maybe this um, was not something that people notice um, immediately. Like, I have here a picture of myself when I was younger. I have it here. But yeah, I mean, like my eyes were kind of big. You're and so cute. Yeah, I mean, like it, it was not really an issue for me back then. However, you know what? I was really so ashamed of it. Like I grew up being ashamed of my Filipino blood, and I've only came to terms with it only I think two years ago when I totally realized how beautiful in reality uh, part of my blood is. Because at the start, I think I really believe that it's dangerous to really present yourself to people as having a different kind of, especially in Vicenza, because I don't want to say, but um, there are many uh, racist people here, especially in the older generation. I think you've also witnessed some of those. Italy in general is a very conservative country for who doesn't know. Yes. And especially also in the northern part, like, I mean, in Vicenza, like I've witnessed a lot of also my friends that had struggled with that. And especially pure Filipinos that has been born here in Italy, but had, you know, both Filipino parents, they have been witnessing this kind of different approach from friends. And usually they find friendship throughout them, you know, uh, their supportive system between them, but not with Italian people. They are always feeling kind of inferior, even in their own way, how they speak and their own facial traits. Well, for me, I always was a shame of it and when there were filipino parties that they always organized here for example my mom invited me when i was younger i was always refusing and all the times that i went there i always felt this sensation of um i don't belong here i don't belong here and i want to kind of escape and i still don't know exactly what made me like i cannot think exactly if there was an experience of judgment that really made it towards that but then later, um, I think two years ago, when I, uh, you know, entered the relationship that I am still currently in, so twenty seven May two thousand twenty, like that was the time that I, 
um, met my boyfriend John which is from the Philippines itself so it's a long distance relationship that was the time that of course I had to face and embrace part of myself that was also the Filipino blood and right now last year I went for the first time in the Philippines for two months and I completely integrated myself into the beautiful and resilience mindset of Filipino people and it's so great like they are so generous like they are I found so many beautiful things that are so different from Italian culture as much respect I also have for Italian culture but that was a discovery for me like uh, for people who doesn't know Philippines is a third world country so um, it's it has a lot of uh, economical uh, difficulties and I've also witnessed in when I went to visit my own relatives and also my partner and things has been rough and to see how they still are able to smile help you even when they don't have anything to give you but they do everything still to help you even on the street even if they don't know you like you find uh, help everywhere and smile everywhere they sing a lot the culture of karaoke like they sing from morning till evening and you always hear these sounds these smells like I don't know it feels so comforting and that was something that I always felt lacking in childhood here in Italy to be honest and I think you could also tell your experience about it I mean the difference of the culture itself no you yeah. feel it in your blood I had I had something very similar meaning going back to the um, to being biracial or even not fitting yeah. in in general I, I I always had a hard time with that as well because in a way I I'm not Italian. I, I wasn't born in Italy, and mm-hmm. travel and I traveled in many countries for my so parents, much, yeah. For my parents, so the moment I got in Italy and I arrived there, for me it was a cultural shock in a way because I was in my own little world. I came from Korea back then, so it was, uh, it was it was a very different shift in society um technology Mm. in in language but what i can also say was when you went to going back to you when you went to the philippines the first time it's and when you Mm -hmm. proposed to jay the video went viral and Mm -hmm. i remember our friends back in italy we were going completely crazy because (laughs) you know that we thought we first of all we didn't know you were gonna propose to Jay. That's completely fine. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, the fact that you had like thirty two point thirty one point two k views or something like that, mm-hmm. that is a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So congratulations, by the way, for you and your <laughs> fiance. Um, but yeah, it was go. an inspiring video for me. A very inspiring video because it made mm-hmm. it made me it made me tear mm-hmm. up. Okay. It was mm. it was amazing, but let's go back to more the um, the aspect of playing and being in the musical world. When was the moment? And I ask this question often. When was the moment you understood that you were going to play the piano forever? So the moment arrived quite later compared to uh, many other musicians that started really at a young age because yes I've been playing piano since I was 
five years old uh, but I had a little piano and I just you know I watched those YouTube videos that were called Synthesia tutorials which are basically like a little colored piano tiles that goes on the electric keyboard and then I tried to imitate like I had my keyboard in the you know opposite part of the room and then I had in the kitchen my computer so I had to switch and you know back and forth throughout the two rooms like trying to remember okay this is how it goes then i try to copy it no theory no training in classical music no musicians in the house that only started at 13 years old when i had to choose my high school so you know here in italy we must already choose a specific high school when you turn around 13 so uh, you must already think what you're gonna do so I had no idea, like really I had no idea, so I said, um, what what remains to me, like I like to play the piano, so I might as well try to focus on that because, you know, I like it. And then I found out you must, you know, learn classical music to enter there, so uh, I tried to search like a piano teacher at the last moment that could prepare me for the entrance exam, and in around one year I tried to enter, apply for it, and then it all started, like the passion of it. And I found out both the good sides and the negative sides of classical music because I wasn't born inside of it. So I was able to compare it to what's outside, you know? And for sure, there's a part of classical music that feels a lot like elitist and that differentiates for the mainstream of other genres of music. And generally, like, especially the one I say, the older generation is a bit conservative on it and tries to denigrates any other musical genres as inferior compared to classical music. And since I was um, raised with a really open mindset about music, I listened to everything. I think that a great musician should be able to expand in every kind of genre. And however, to go back to your question, when was the time I kind of learned it was the thing that I would have done? I think it was when I started to see the results. When I started to see the results that the satisfaction of seeing people cry, even when I perform, like I remember, I will always remember the faces of, you know, that old lady that went to me with tears in her eyes and told me like I made her remember her own childhood or, you know, those experiences that make you say this is better than any competitions I ever done. You said you didn't have any... uh any theory knowledge and especially in the classical world where Mm. we come from at least originally from the five years of 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 high school because we chose the same specialization so we ended up in the same Mm -hmm. class um what's your view on that because i think that Mm. also on on genre it connects also to the to the idealism let's call it of genre Mm -hmm where in a way you are not considered reliable trustworthy or acceptable if you don't play classical music or better classical Mm -hmm. musicians don't think you are uh in a way accepted they don't think you're a serious person if you don't play classical music so what's your view on these separation of genres i love this topic so much because it means a lot to me it was really part of one of my hugest insecurities and up until now I still feel this you know 
judgment, inner judgment whenever I play something that's not classical. Because since I was, a, um, you know, I was not born inside a classical music uh, uh, mindset environment, I was able to see the difference between the two sides of the coins. So, yes, it's actually true that this judgment appears a lot more often than what we think. And even if people may not tell it to you about their inner judgment, their inner opinion of you, of seeing you playing something like that or sharing it on social media, because even a classical musician that tries to use social media to promote music sometimes is seen in a bad way and less reliable. I totally disagree on that. There's anything more wrong on it. I think a great musician is someone who's able to be curious about music in its most broader aspect and if music you know tries to connect more people then why should we have a close mentality about it why should we try to put you know boundaries on it that's not helpful to any source and i think it's so egoistical to consider classical music just you know you should do that and that's it i mean for sure uh, we've been used to see those big figures of classical music that they only do that. They only show you that they do that because that's how in society it's built in that way. But something that made me so happy and so inspired was in the latest uh, Arthur Rubinstein competition, international piano competition in Tel Aviv, Israel, that has been held, I think, two weeks ago and that I've been witnessing the participants and the second prize winner, which is Georgi Gigashvili uh, from Georgia, he plays incredibly well, okay? And when you see him, you think, okay, he's someone that, you know, just studies from morning to, till evening. But the passion he puts inside with it, the naturality that he has, like, it made me curious. Like I said, no, there's something different about this guy compared to those other musicians that they show the effort of it. Like, you totally see that they are, you know, kind of, I don't want to say machines, but, you know, um, hard work. Very methodical, like, very... Something... Yeah, very methodical. Like, there's something different about this guy. Let me search about it. And when I, what I found out, even in social media, is that he sings pop songs. He composed pop songs, jazz, improvised jazz music. He's been interviewed with his own. He has two uh, female friends where with whom like he tries to compose, even have musical videos of their own songs and they have their own fan base. And that's not just a passion that he's hiding. He's actually confronting it and putting it as part of his personality in front of a wide range of people. I saw him perform on a I don't know, it's like a Georgian um, program. There were thousands of people singing his songs. Thousands of people. And it was so mind-boggling to me that this could actually happen in the classical music industry because it's often looked so bad. And then when I shared that with my friends, I tried to do this experiment. I tried to show them first his performance in the competition and I said, look at this guy. And they didn't recognize it. Like, they could not connect that that was the same person. And that made me, like, see how healthy he is. Like, he gives, like, a healthy... Because he's not constricting himself only in, the, in a little niche. He's not afraid to experiment. He's bold. He's living his life in the fullest way possible. Like, he's always been singing since he was little. So why not pursue also that? 
kind of side. I have also a friend of mine, like a pianist, that has also been passionate about dance since she was younger. But once she entered the classical music ambience, she always thought that that's she must always chose that pathway and not, you know, cancel anything she has been passionate about before or just keep it as a side hustle or just like a side passion. No, like that should be a motivation to combine it and create something new because we need new things in classical music environment. We need new stuffs to put together. And I saw Lang Lang making an album with Disney songs and even trying to make collaboration with Alvaro Soler, which is like a pop singer. And the criticism was always there from stigma of people, but he has a different, you know, uh, audience. So why we should criticize him? He's trying to do a really beautiful job of getting more people inside of it what's the bad of that why should you criticize him like is that making your ego better like i don't understand it i've never understood it and somehow there's this common things that once you enter in the classical music you start to play with it like you start to feel the opinions of others like you feel that judgment is there even if it's not being told you start to think as them up until you realize and say no you must have the courage and to every musician listening to me now please have the courage to change this thing because we need something new we need this new stuff and we must have the courage to go against what this you know mainstream opinion of classical closeness has my professor told me i think it was last week mm-hmm. uh, rules are to be broken Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is true in a way because yeah. but again that makes me think about something else though because you think about you made the example of a, of a dancer right you have a friend who who likes dancing and a lot of people who are even dancing pop on pop music or are working on on very modern choreographies most of them always say and the best example I could do is BTS is mm-hmm. The, before even they start in the industry, they are sent to study and practice classical dancing in a way because somehow they believe the technique is more refined. Somehow they believe that. But when you look at other great musicians who play klezmer music, who play jazz music, and you ask them, what key are you playing in? They're, they're going to tell you, I have no clue. I just like what I'm mm-hmm. doing. So yes. I think it works in both ways. But... I believe that only one is the true way to be being honest and being uh, to yourself and being also in a way truthful to the people that are around you. Because if I decided that I want to play pop music on a piano, no one should tell me, even if I want to go on a musical high school, no one should tell me you need to necessarily start to study uh, the great classical names, yeah, Chopin exactly. and these things. Yes, mm-hmm. they are they beautiful be to be played. Sure. They can be helpful and but they sound nice. It's not mm-hmm. Definitely. But if you can still teach me without having to mm-hmm. say you need to go back to the classics. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's something that I also approach in my teaching. Like I've been starting teaching this year and it's something that I am also passionate about. And even to it's a private school, okay? And of course, students that arrive there are not necessarily people that just want to achieve the great, you know, stuff of classical. And for me, it's absurd to like constrict this 
for people passionate about music in general like they want just to reproduce this song that they like they just like the instrument they just like piano not necessarily like they've been listening to Beethoven's sonatas etc like it's absurd to me like to constrict them to practice something that maybe they don't especially the start like especially the start like to constrict them to go deep with like with uh, you know Bach fugues no like for me the approach is okay I'm gonna introduce you also to classical music because it is something that you could actually benefit from and it could interest you because of course if they have never listened to it they have stigma for sure it's good to kind of step into and learn something but for me it's like always like this you choose one piece that you like that you've been listening that you just like we find a transcription we can try to make a transcription that's able for your level but at least at the start you have the gratification of playing the instrument that you're here to learn with a song that you like and then that makes you to come back to the lesson with joy not feeling that oh my god i'm playing something that i absolutely don't feel like listening at all so then it becomes a chore like what's the point of it and i don't understand this obsession towards that you know i i think that um and little little story time i i think that i was i i don't know i can ask you too how was Mm-hmm. your beginning because in my case mm-hmm. i was lucky enough to start playing the piano at a pretty young age and mm. i was in korea back then uh for who doesn't know I've, I've lived in north korea for a year because my dad was sent there um for various reasons for his job and we lived in this compound uh for foreigners mm-hmm. so we didn't have much contact with the with the outside world, but I wanted to really learn the piano. And my first teacher was, my first serious teacher was this professor who would teach piano at this common building area for foreigners with also, it had a pool, it had a cinema, it had a barber shop, and it only worked on Saturdays and Sundays. During the week, it was okay. for, for citizens. And he told, he sat me down and asked me what do you want to play other than piano he was like look at the room and choose another instrument and i said but i want to play piano and he said you're also going to play piano i promise but choose another instrument instrument because it will show you that you can find pleasure in also doing something else and Mm -hmm. Having this this tunnel vision is not going to help you. So I chose percussions, and for mm-hmm. a year or so, I I I, pl- I played percussions with the piano. And then he would ask me to choose some songs out of a like a little sound library he had on his iPad, um, and would choose the songs together based on what I could do or could not do at that moment in time. And then I would have a little concert for my parents and 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 my dad and his coworkers. So. Yes, I had. I was lucky. But what about for you, Richard? Were you, um, were you kind of forced brutally to begin immediately with classical, or were you lucky enough for someone to ease you in the way you're doing now with your students? So, um, well, your story was very interesting because I think I had something also kind of similar in a kind of sense. Like, I've had this piano at home which was like a toy piano. And then I remember my first teacher, um, 
did not train me to classical music because as I've said I've only resorted to classical music once I uh, started to pursue it in a more serious way for high school but before I remember in this first private school that I went to we had a, like a different kind of method with we didn't even have like actual pianos like we just had like a keyboard and there were I, I don't know if I should define it, it it was not like popular songs it was like those kind of compositions but they were nice to the ear of a young children like it was kind of book with full of you know imaginative descriptions of like the universe like this story like you follow the story of this like kind of astronaut that going to different planets and it has each has a different sound and I don't know I was so fascinated with it like I could have not waited the next lesson for seeing what to unlock the next piece like to unlock the next piece also after and I don't know it made me so fascinated because for me music was really like a description of my um, imagination and from that I started also to compose which is something that I regret because I stopped doing once I entered into the classical music I stopped composing but when I was younger oh my god like I spent hours trying to reproduce what my dreams were I was obsessed with um, dreams also kind of creepy topics uh, like I don't know like the Bermuda triangles or aliens those kind of you know uh, creepy stuff that children's like I was obsessed with it I remember like my first piece was called Terrore which in Italian means like terror and it was based on this kind of feeling of anxiety like watching those um, in the night or the clock um, you know the clock ticking the pendulum clock kind of, or yeah. the pendulum clock and recreating the sound without any um, musical theory reference of it and I was encouraged to do so to work with my imagination you know what yes maybe now I don't have you know that uh, I didn't progress with my theory back then because I didn't ha I didn't know how to practice a scale and a correct but my imagination that I have now with you know playing the instrument is something that is I see that it's different from other colleagues of mine like I see that like the way they think is more rational they try to watch a recording spec of other classical pianists they try to think rationally of harmonical reasons to create re but it's good their method works for them but for me I noticed that I really work on images I work on sensations and maybe just by thinking of that image or that sensation I immediately can reproduce um, a result that is what I want to recreate like it's more connected to what I feel in the moment and that's also a, a good side of it a more freedom side of it and I totally see this dualism especially this year talking with my friends in piano like I, we totally confront each other on it and how different it is like for example that friend of mine that started by dancing she is having the same kind of mindset of mine she works with images like she try to reproduce a, uh, uh, her teacher tried to tell her to imagine that there's like a waterfall the, the the section arrives out because she works with it while with other friends must explain the um, harmony reason that the dominant seven chord is more emphasized compared to the resolution those kind of aspect and works for them as well so it just all depends on what you're passionate about and if you're lucky to be born inside the classical music and you're lucky that that's also what you want to do in life then you're advanced to it for me um it was a different story but still i found my way to still get it and we are not inferior to them 
and put you know th that other aspect of academical born um, method mm -hmm. so there is one last question that we usually ask in uh, our show and that is for the person we're interviewing to leave a message to the next person. So in this case, I'll, I'll ask you first the question from the previous person we interviewed, and then I'll ask you to prepare a question for the next person we interview without okay. knowing who they are. Okay, mm -hmm. so I have it here, so I need to read it. And the question is, what do you want your footprint to be in the world? Okay, so that's an interesting question. I think what I would like my footprint to be in the world would be something about freedom because for sure my footprint will be inserted in a contest of I mean of music it could be even outside from music but it's all about freedom and when I am talking about freedom I'm not referring to you know being free of doing something that could be actually bad or negative but I mean, freedom of yourself, freedom of accepting your own flaws, your own failures, accepting that not anything that you expect will go in its own line. So I wish that my experience with its highs and lows could be relatable to many people and for them to accept, OK, it's fine. And the important is still to find the stability in all these mishaps and still go with it. That's the most important things I think I want to give to people into the world because that frees them. It frees, it literally gives you freedom from any kind of overthinking at the basis because you overthink because you're, you're afraid of failing. You're overthinking because you're afraid of failing. Could be any type of failure. So, yes, I would love if I could give this vibe, I mean, this footprint to people to find themselves and accept it, whatever it is, you know. And what is your question to the next person we're going to interview? So, well, since we're talking about freedom and for me, freedom is also imagination. And I don't know what this person is probably doing, but how do you involve imagination in your own craft whether I don't know it is your passion or whatsoever what how do you involve imagination in your own craft that's my wow. question that's that's deep okay <laughs> thank you thank you so much welcome thank you for being in our show and it's been a pleasure thank you for <laughs> yeah thank you for giving us your time we really appreciate it and we really hope you to have you back in the future in the show Thank you so much. Thank you for who've listened and thank you Drew, for you, Filippo, for this project and everybody behind it. Thank okay. you so much. Well, thank you.